So you guys ready for round, uh, round five of Fight Club? It's on. Today we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be throwing some serious punches, um, and uh, it's getting it's getting more and more um, to a place of advancing, more and more to a place of us um, seeing the weapons that we've received to be able to not just stand and withstand the attack of the enemy, but to be able to advance against the enemy and take ground back that he might have stolen out of our lives, but also ground back that he might have stolen just in, 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 in general, in other people's lives. And so what we're going to get into today really is one of those powerful, powerful spiritual weapons if we learn how to use it right. And I'm going to be talking about that today. And then when we're done talking about it, we're going to do it. All right, we're going to actually apply directly what we, what we, what we heard um, and give you guys just, you know, a feel of that sword in your hands. Just, just feel how it feels to just swing that thing around a little and, and, and have a little bit more freedom to do that, permission to do that, and see how it, it, it truly affects our hearts and minds. So the series called Fight Club in week one, we've talked about the spiritual battle. Um, and we've talked about how we shouldn't be unaware, you know, of this battle, because if we're unaware of this battle, it's easy to get gut punched. How many of you have received a gut punch like, and it just knocked your wind out? That ha happens so many times with Christians because we're not prepared. We're not bracing for impact. And so it hits us from our blind side. And in week two and three, we talked about the battle of the mind, how important it is to understand that most of our fight is in here. Uh, tearing down arguments and ideas and concepts and philosophies and ways of seeing the world that are inconsistent with God's view of the world and God's view of us and how we are to break agreements with things that we might have experienced that have now become influences in our lives that keep us in a pattern of sin or a pattern of challenge or a pattern of defeat. Okay. And then last week we, um, we spoke about choosing your weapon and uh, using prayer and declaration as a weapon to declare God's will over your life and how to clean up your language so that you don't inadvertently without knowing make agreements with the enemy to allow him access to your life to get a hold on you and start influencing you in the negative. But then how to use God's word in prayer and how to use it in, in terms of confessing your agreement with it that allows God's spirit, to, uh, you to align with his will for your life. Um, and, and produce the outcomes of, that God wants for your life. So today, we're kind of doing a subset of choose your weapon. Yes, last week, weapon one, prayer and declaration. Weapon two, praise and worship today. How we use songs in spiritual battle. So as I was choosing this title, I imagined like an arena in medieval times. And, you know, the two uh, people that are dueling off in the fight, you know, each have like a, a display of weapons that they, can, that they can choose from. And an announcer just shouting, choose your weapon. You know, and you go and see, okay, I'm going to choose this axe with two heads on it. And hopefully this helps me win the fight. Um, but it's, it's, it's amazing that sometimes we are, we're given the option of choosing our weapon, and yet sometimes, um, you know, we, sometimes we, we don't take a weapon from the display. And that can be caused by, by a couple of things. Um, the one thing is uh, our own complacency. You know, we, uh, we choose not to use the weapons. And unfortunately, what then happens is that we're ill-prepared when the battle does come. When things go rough, when things turn against us, or when we've made a couple of mistakes, we don't know how to bounce back. 
fully to God's plan and God's, you know, God's call in our lives. And some of it's because of complacency. We're not willing to go ahead and take those weapons up again and to wield those weapons in our fight. So we're trying to just survive. We're trying to just kind of make, make by and, and, and withstand the attacks of the enemy. But we're not, we're not taking ground again. We're not attacking again. Um, and then the other one is that sometimes we find ourselves bound uh, by our traditions. We found ourselves bound by our previous ways of thinking. And uh, Colossians 2 verse 8 would say the following. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So there is a possibility for us to um, take what we've experienced before in our lives as being the fullness of the revelation of how things ought to be, right? And not receive the new things God wants to give us to help us grow. And so I want to appeal to you today because you are almost undoubtedly going to hear things today for the very first time. Okay? I want, to, I, want, I want to be careful that you don't be tied by your tradition so that you can't hear the word of God. Listen to what Marcus, Mark, sorry, Mark 7 verse 13 says. Um, if, if this is the case, if we're so caught up by our ways of upbringing, by the past experiences of things, that we see that as being totally right and totally fully true, then this will happen. It continues on from a thought saying, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. Jesus was actually confronting the Pharisees by saying, look, you've studied the scriptures. You've been believers so long, but you thought that there was nothing new. You thought that there was nothing that could be added to your revelation. And so now when I introduce life to you from the word you reject it. And by doing so, you are nullifying the Word of God in your life. And I want to appeal to you today because you're going to be hearing things that are new today. Don't nullify God's Word in your life just because of your upbringing, just because of your experience. And so often we can even take our experience of church and faith and, 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 and look at how we traditionally are used to doing that and and reject any part of scripture that introduces something new to us that might be powerful to our liberation, powerful to your victory over sin, you're powerful in your victory over bondage and over challenges, over heartbreaking things that might, you might be experiencing right now. It could choke out the word of God. Listen, tradition, human tradition can be stronger, can be a stronger influence in your life than the word of God. And, and I've always tried my best to make it my aim to not allow what I'm used to to be my, my, um, you know, to be my, my anchor, but to allow God's Word to challenge even what I'm used to and help me to grow into the fullness of the image of Jesus Christ. Okay, so, so last week we spoke about praying and declaring the truths of the Word of God over our lives. We gave a, a nice accordion folder with a bunch of scriptures on it and declarations that you can pray over your life. Um, and you can pray over your children, over your circumstances. And, and, and here's a thought that I want to submit to you. If you didn't start using the words on that pamphlet and pray them over your life this week, you may want to ask yourself why. 
you may want to ask yourself, why did I just put it aside and not use it? Remember a while back, Ryan said, sometimes it takes your mind a couple of times hearing the same thing before you actually accept it to be true. And it's really important that we realize that, you know, just listening to something once and then, you know, going, ah, you know, I don't need to do that. I don't need to do that. You know what? That's for, that's for those people, right? Or, you know what? That's a little bit too, you know, too way out there. Uh, you know, I can just serve God the way I've been serving him. Well, yes, you can. You can, but you're only going to receive the same outcome that you're currently having, right? So if that outcome didn't produce life to the degree that you can and should have it, if you're still struggling through things, if you're still stuck in patterns of sin, if you haven't broken free of, you know, uh, mental struggles like we spoke about in week two and, and three, uh, round two and three, then obviously there's more that God wants you to walk into, but you're not going to walk into more if you don't accept more of his word. Okay, and so um, wherever you're still struggling in sin, you need more word. You need a higher revelation of what God's word wants to give you. And, and, and sometimes we just go, oh, well, I've know, I know everything. You know, I'm going to heaven and that might be true, but it doesn't mean that on this earth you'll walk in the kind of victory that you could be walking in. And it's all about us not just settling for what we have received right now, but to trust God that we might grow into the fullness of the image of Jesus Christ. That is our ultimate goal, right? To become like Christ. And I'll share in a second why that is so. All right, so, um, so I want to encourage you to just open up your heart to the Word of God. Not to anything I have to say. Uh, for if I say something that's not in Scripture, then reject it. But if I preach from Scripture, my appeal to you is that you accept it open-heartedly. Yes? Ooh, with that response, it's going to be a hard day for us. <laughs> All right. I want to talk quickly and briefly about worship as a lifestyle, okay? Because worship is supposed to be a lifestyle. Um, and it indeed goes hand in hand with worship as a weapon. Um, but I want to focus on the latter today. And so I'm just going to make some mention about the first one. Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13 says this. The end of the matter, this is after he's been debating about what is worthwhile, how is life, you know, life is so futile, it's just a vain pursuit. He comes to this conclusion, at the end of the matter, all has been heard. And this is what it comes down to, he's saying. We should fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of that. The Westminster Catechism, um, the first point that says the following, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And if you understand Ecclesiastes correctly because of the cross and what the cross does to our nature, it says exactly the same thing. If you want to combine them, our ultimate purpose in life, you and I, listen to me, this is your purpose. If you've ever wondered, what's my purpose in life? This is your chief purpose. And I understand there might be, you know, places where that plays out. That might play out in sport, might play out in, you know, entertainment, might play out in business, might play. Yes, but what is y'all's chief end? What is our chief end? Every single human being's chief end is this. Fearing God to glorify Him in all things of my life and keeping His commandments to enjoy Him 
in all things in my life. And if you understand what that means, then your life is going to be a joy because fearing God, glorifying Him brings such joy. And keeping His commandments, if you're doing Christianity right, brings joy, not a sense of bondage or a sense of um, you know, losing out on the good stuff of life. Oh, that's a whole sermon in and of itself, but let's move on. We are a church, listen to me guys, we are a church who endeavors to live the songs that we sing, to live the songs that we sing. And so we're going to talk about singing mostly today, but our singing should result in living, right? What we sing on a Sunday is a declaration of truth that we make over our lives, and hopefully that manifests in your life, hopefully desire manifests in your life to actually live that in your day-to-day life. Each song we sing in church needs to be seen as a goal to be reached in our lives. We sing sometimes of amazing things, but we don't sing them because they sound amazing. And listen to me, yes, we keep up with the trends. We are trained adopters, but we're not trained followers. We're trained adopters, and where it makes sense, we will follow a train. But where it exits or deviates from God's truth, we will reject that. And so sometimes even the songs that we sing might sound different from what they're being sung over the radio. Why? Because I look at those words before we sing them. And if I don't agree with them theologically, I change them. I'm sorry. I'm not going to declare something that I know to be not accurate according to the New Testament and to, according to Scripture. And I praise God for the artists out there. <laughs> and, and I just want to brag on them because like 95% of Christian artists out there are really doctrinally sound. You rarely find somebody that is saying something that's completely off. And here and there, it's just, sometimes it's just necessary to tweak one or so word just to make sure that the reality of the cross is communicated in each and every song. But we don't sing them because they sound amazing. We sing them because they proclaim God's truth. Um, uh, they can pro- proclaim God's truth about us, about the world, and about His perspectives of it. And so we would like to see what we sing happen in real life. There's a band called Casting Crowns, and they sing a chorus in one of their songs. It goes like this, Let my life song sing to you. Let my life song sing to you. I want to sign your name to the end of this day, Knowing that my heart was true, let my life song sing to you. We are called to worship God through every aspect of our lives. Listen to me, kids. The way you treat your room is worship. Who are you worshiping? The way business people, you do your taxes, is worship. The way you treat your finances is worship. The way you raise your kids, parents, it's worship. The way you treat your colleagues, it's worship. Are you stepping on your colleagues to get ahead or are you serving them? Everything we do is meant to be worship unto the Lord. The way we treat strangers is worship. The way we drive (laughs) is worship. Jesus, have mercy. The way we work is worship. Who wrote this? Come on now. Um, The product we deliver, if we're in manufacturing, the quality of it is worship. The way I care or nurse people is worship. The way I raise my children, like I said, is worship. Colossians 3.17 says this, Whatever you do 
in word and deed. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, you need to be able to say, I did this on his behalf. Can you put it on, on behalf of Jesus next to every assignment you submitted? Now that's a goal that we're trying to, trying to reach. If you say in the name of, you're coming on behalf of a person and delivering a message or whatever. It says you do everything in the name of Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him is whatever you do, an offering of thanksgiving. The way you treat customers, even if they're horrible, even if they deserve to just be chased off of your property, can you get them there off the property with dignity and respect? That is worship as a lifestyle, all right? So I'm going to leave that right there <laughs> because today I want to get into worship as a weapon. And uh, that is particularly done through singing, through singing. And so I've been saying this off and on, but I want to emphasize that point today that we don't just sing to start a service. And to the point that I'm serious about, it, I'm willing to switch things around so that we actually get to fully engage praising and worshiping God as an act of worship, as an act of, you know, uh, importance. Uh, it's not the, the lesser important part of our time together. In fact, as we'll see today, it is so important. It carries, carries such uh, significance and power in our lives that I hate when I miss worship. It's like I cannot think of coming to a place and go, oh, don't worry, they're going to be worshiping for a little while and, and, and we'll, we'll come in due time. I can't. That's like, I need to be there when that first music note bangs because I want to participate in the significance and in the power of that moment. I want to engage it with all of my heart, strength, and mind because I know what it means and what it can deliver in my life. That's what we're going to talk about. We are, we are, we are chosen to glorify God and in, in expression. And one of those expressions is what we do here today in worship and praise. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Say this, I don't belong to me. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing is such a big part of our expression uh, of, of, of thankfulness in our hearts to God. So, we might think that it's not that important and kind of skip out on it and just, you know, join. As, soon, as long as I get the word, then I'm going to be okay. You're missing half the power of a worship service if you miss praise and worship. But an even worse thing that, can, that you can do is to actually dis, have disdain in your heart for it. To actually go and say, you know what, that is just a little over the top. You know, we need to really just tone it down a little. And, and people who are really like, you know, in it, we might go like, hmm, did they really have to do that? 
If you do that, you're playing on a very dangerous line, a very dangerous line of having disdain in your heart to somebody who isn't expressing his honor and his, uh, God, expressing honor and glory unto the Lord. And there's an account in uh, the Old Testament where King David was getting uh, a little out of hand, we would say, in worshiping God. And the Bible says his wife had disdain in her heart toward him for acting in an inappropriate manner before the Lord. And the Bible says that God actually struck her with barrenness in her, in her life. She never bore any children. I will get to that in a while again. But it's so important that we understand that this moment of praise and worship is a holy moment. It's a moment that is meant to be a focus on God, not a focus on us. It's, been, it's supposed to be a, a, a place where we lay down our own perceptions and we just focus on the one whom we are worshiping and the one whom we are praising and not coming to any form of judgment or undervalue what it is supposed to produce in our lives. So why is praise and worship so important? Let's, 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 let's talk through this. 2 Corinthians 10. We've used this scripture before when it comes to praise, uh, to prayer and declaration. And we said, like, if we take the word of God and we allow the word of God to replace the lies in our heart, we are casting down arguments and we are taking captive our thoughts that are contrary to the knowledge of what Jesus Christ has done and what he has produced in our lives, right? So this is 2 Corinthians 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not war waging war according to the flesh. Um, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. Everybody say divine power. That means God gets into the action when you use these weapons. That means when you step into alignment with using these weapons, God comes and fights on your behalf. It's no longer just you fighting the battle. It's God coming and actually standing in your stead. We, therefore, uh, divine power to destroy strongholds. We talk about strongholds being influences, strong influences that convince us to live and do things a certain way that we almost can't say no to because it's, it's gotten such a great hold on our souls. And the way to break them is through breaking agreement with them. But it takes some work to identify those lies and replace them with truth. But often our emotional life is so attached to those strongholds that it's difficult to break free from them. And that's where we need something that's even a greater level of agreement. And that is what praise and worship can be. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, praise and worship has the potential to take what we do in prayer and declaration, re recognize lies, renounce our agreement with them, replace them with truth, and then we'll see God's victory as we get released from the bondage of that thing to be free to do what He has called us to do. That whole package there, in praise and worship, that gets elevated to a next level. Because if praise and worship is done in a biblical way, it incorporates your body, it incorporates your mind, it incorporates your will, and it incorporates your emotions, and it incorporates your spirit, all to agree on what you are declaring. 
That's powerful agreement. And sometimes you have made such powerful agreements because you were in a state of high emotion when you made that agreement that merely understanding that that was a wrong agreement isn't enough. You need to engage your emotion. You need to engage your soul at the same kind of intensity of emotion to go and say, I disagree with that lie. I will no longer have anything to do with it. And sometimes it's difficult to reach that unless you are coming into full unity, body, soul, and spirit. And that's why the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Because if you do, it creates a powerful agreement with truth that is able to set you free. That's why you can be in praise and worship and you can experience God and it can break things off your life that you couldn't do on your own outside of that, of that, that moment of intimacy with God. Furthermore, if it's done corporately, see, we are called to worship corporately. With the believers. You'll see the scripture verse we're going to quote in a second. How they refer to being in a throng of people. Being at the temple. Being in public. We are called to worship God in public. When done corporately, it further creates a company now. Who is standing in unity and agreement. The Bible says two things of that. Number one, God inhabits the high praise of his people. In other words, while you're worshiping with other people, it creates an atmosphere that God can manifest himself in. What does that mean when God manifests himself? Well, it simply means this, that all of a sudden our souls get conditioned to the point where we accept his will for us. We're no longer in, in resistance. Barriers drop, resistance drop. We're open to the Holy Spirit to do surgery on our hearts. And the Bible says, in a company of unity with a brethren and sister and draw in unity, God commands his blessing. God commands His blessing in that environment. So let's understand the difference between praise and worship. Praise can be understood as the act of ascribing worth. Whereas worship can be understood as the act of pledging allegiance. It's not just praise and worship. <laughs> it's actually two different things. Praise is where we sacrifice honor to the Lord. In other words, we leave our places of honor. The Bible says in, 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 in heaven, when somebody shouts holy, the, the angels or the elders, they throw down their crowns and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. It's a praise offering of honor where we Take our honor and put it down. In other words, we recognize who is Lord. We recognize who is king of our lives. It's ascribing honor. It's, it's, and it's sacrificing our own honor to honor Him. And then in worship, we offer ourselves to Him in service. We offer ourselves to Him. We come and say, Lord, we want to give ourselves to You. Like we said earlier, we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to You. It's giving myself to Him. Now, this doesn't happen necessarily, praise during fast songs, worship during slow songs, okay? And I've, I know that sometimes that we think that that's the case, you know, okay, we're, we're praising, and that's when we're clapping. And now we're worshiping, that's when we're, you know, supposed to be quiet and kind of like, no, 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 no. You can do praise and worship during fast songs. 
You can do praise and worship during slow songs. It's not about the fastness or the slowness. It's about what you're doing in the song, what the words are leading you to say. If you're ascribing worth, you're praising God. If you're offering yourself or dedicating yourself to Him, that's worship. But the reason why we do it in, in that fashion is because we want to incorporate our whole body. And I'll explain to you right now as we go into the scriptures that, that say that's why we, we have songs that motivate movement, that motivate bodily participation because it's actually a demonstration of praise and worship. And it brings our body and our emotions in alignment with our spirit. The purpose of praise is to boast in God by declaring His worth. By doing this, we elevate Him. Listen, this is very important. We elevate Him above our enemy. If we ascribe Him worth, if we make Him big, if we glorify Him, what are we doing? We're saying, you're bigger than what I'm going through right now. You're bigger than the enemy that is coming up against me. And by default, as we're worshiping Him, sorry, praising Him and ascribing Him worth, we're elevating Him above our circumstances and by default, elevating ourselves above it. Because we are in Him. You see, until you can see your God bigger than your circumstances, you can't see your way past your circumstances. But when you see your God in the light that He truly is, as high and lifted up, as, 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 as sovereign over it all, as more powerful than whatever I'm going through, then you start seeing your way through. Then faith arises in your heart, say, I can make it. I can overcome this because my God has already gained the victory for me. But so often we come into a moment of praise and worship and we're so focused on ourselves, on our pain, on our brokenness and hurt that we don't end up praising God, putting down our honor, we don't end up setting aside ourselves and offering Him what is due His name, and then we never get victory over what we're actually needing victory from. You know, see how important it is that we praise God. How important it is that we don't just stand idly and wait for it to be done. There is victory to be gained in praise and worship. That if you will engage it, it will change your life. If the purpose of praise is to boast in God and to lift Him up, the purpose of worship is to commit ourselves to Him in service. To commit ourselves to Him in service. By doing this, we recognize that none of our pursuits are able to satisfy us. But that, only, but that we can only find ourselves in Him. And only be satisfied by fully immersing ourselves in His service. That's the purpose of worship. It's I'm coming saying, Lord, here I am. Use me. Send me. Have me do whatever you have me do. Nothing I'm pursuing in this life will satisfy me. Nothing will complete me until I find myself in you and I commit myself to your service. That's what worship is all about. And when you do that, you find yourself in Christ. You find security. You find affirmation. 
And nothing ever out there can affect that because you're secure in Him. It's not just songs we sing. They're demonstrations of our allegiance and our affections to the one and only true and living God. And that's why it calls for us to participate, body, soul, and spirit. All right, let's look at how Scripture presents praise and worship to us. What are often translated in English translation as praise or worship or to bless the Lord actually had much richer meaning in the Hebrew language. Consider some of these Hebrew words as they demonstrate to us how you and I are called to worship God and to praise God. Now, I'm just going to read you scriptures and then give you the meaning of the actual Hebrew words that they use. All right. So, again, I want to emphasize, we do nothing if it does not have scriptural precedent or meaning. And so I want you to think that, I don't want you to think that, okay, this is that kind of a church and therefore they do that kind of a worship. No, it has absolutely nothing, zero, zilch, nada to do with the type of church we are. It has nothing to do with that. It's simply looking at Scripture and responding accordingly. Listen to Psalm 35 verse 18. I will give you thanks in a large gathering. I will praise. See that word there? Halal? That's the Hebrew word that's used for the English translated word praise. I will halal you um, in, a great, in a crowd of worshipers. What does that word halal mean? It means this. Get ready. <laughs> it means to boast foolishly. It means to make a visible show of praise. Can you imagine that that's in Scripture? Isn't that inappropriate? Isn't that undignified? Let's read some more. Psalm 119, 175. Let my soul have new life so that it can halal you. I, 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 I feel sorry for those guys who said, you know, you're not allowed to be emotional in praise and worship or emotional in church. Because it's going to be very difficult to make a show and to boast foolishly about something that you're not happy about. That you're not expressing some kind of excitement for, right? Let my soul have new life so that he's praying that God gives him life. Why? So that he can be foolishly showing a visible form of praise to God. All right, remember what I said at the beginning. Don't let the traditions stop you from taking a weapon here today, okay? We, are, we have been set free from our traditions by the cross of Jesus Christ so that we can take the word of God. The Bible says every time the law is read, what is the law? Rights and wrongs, do's and don'ts. The Bible says a veil gets put over their eyes and they cannot see. Let's take that veil off. Because we're under, under Jesus Christ's grace. We're not under the law. We're not, we're not advocating sin. We're advocating obedience to Scripture. So let's take that veil off. Let's break those chains of tradition. And this is how I'm used to, or what I used to think of, so that this word can transform us today. Psalm 34, verse 1, a different word. 
This is when David pretended to be insane in the presence of a king so that the king just thought of him as a nutcase and he just threw him out because he thought the guy had lost it. And then David left. He says this, I will thank the Lord at all times. My mouth will always praise him. Different praise word there. It's the word tequila, not tequila, okay? Although, this word too can make you vocal. In fact, the word tequila refers to vocal praise. It refers to loud hearable, boasting, whereas halal is demonstrative action, tehillah is vocal expression of praise. I will express, vocally express praise to him. Verse 2, my soul will boast in the Lord, boast, again the word halal, in the Lord, those who are oppressed will Hear it and rejoice. In other words, those who are oppressed are probably not around. Which means that there's going to be loud, foolishly clamorous expression and vocal, hearable from a distance, boasting in praise to God. Okay, we're just getting started. Tehillah is vocal boasting with a voice or song or shouts. How many of you have ever heard a praise and worship song say, let's put a shout out to the Lord, and the crowd goes, oh, and we go, what was that all about? Well, this is what that was all about. It was Tehillah. There's another word in the Bible. It's called Shabbat. It literally means to just scream at the top of your lungs that we are in Psalm. The psalmist is saying, um, release a Shabbat unto the Lord. And it's literally like a victory cry. Okay? Let's go to the next one. Psalm 33 verse 2. Give thanks. The word, the whole clause, give thanks, is the Hebrew word zamar. With a lyre to the Lord. I don't know how you, how you, do, that, how you do that. Make music for him on a ten-stringed harp. Let me ask you this. Where did they get it from that you can only pray an organ in church? I don't understand it. This is the Bible. Is it not? So then, let us do as the Bible allows for us to praise and to worship God. And and, and, and use all kind of instrument to praise Him, to bring glory to Him. The word, give thanks, the the zamar, it, it literally says instrumental music praise with stringed instrument and the emphasis here is on harmony it's on accuracy how many of you enjoy music how many of you enjoy classical music right did you know that john bach used to say that my music is exclusively in honor and glory of god no words just music but beautiful music right He said, that's why I write music. It's to glorify God. Actual music can glorify God. Why? Because He created it. And when it's beautifully put together, accurate and harmonious, it glorifies God. When our praise and worship team are using different kind of instrument and they're growing in their skill to to accurately 
harmonized with the rest of the song. It's a zamar praise. It's making praise to the Lord with instruments. Psalm 42 verse 5. Why are you so discouraged, my soul? Why are you so restless? Put your hope in God because I will still praise Him. New word here. Yada. I will still yada Him. He is my Savior and my God. Get the picture of a person to understand what yada is. That is standing and it doesn't matter what circumstance he is in. It doesn't matter whether he's happy or whether he's sad, whatever he's going through. It's completely regardless of what he is experiencing emotionally. Chooses to throw up hands in honor of God. You think we just raise our hands because, you know, we don't know what else to do with them? We can't find our pockets or we're just a little bit, you know, out there? No, 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 no. We're praising God through raising up our hands and waving our hands before Him because here it says that to yada is to, to throw hands upward in praise and surrender and celebration and declaration. The beauty of yada is that it takes any doubt as to who is the greatest of all time out of the picture. By throwing your hands up to the Lord high, Most High, you're saying He is the greatest of all time. Only Him and Him alone will I worship, will I raise myself unto, will I demonstrate praise and worship to. You know what? I'm often so... Um, astonished at how people can 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 express themselves and you know and 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 demonstrate their passion and their emotion when it comes to you know when it comes to uh, other things you know but the minute it comes to praise and worshiping God all of a sudden you know we feel that no 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 now we need to be you know solemn and reserved that's a discrepancy and that's inaccurate that's not even scriptural like if you are in any form or way demonstrative about sport or about your child when he's about to score, you know, and, and, and if you're like me, you know, and I know not everybody's like me, you know, if you're like me, you're, and you could be like, you know, you could be on the side of the, of, of, of the field, you'd be, you'd be like, come on, come on, you know, <laughs> because my boy's about to score, right? Now, I know you, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, I want to put this, more sophisticated people than me <laughs> would probably not, you know, do such a thing. But because I do that on next to the sport field, I will do that in here before my God. I'm not going to skimp away from showing people who my greatest of all time is. If at at the sports field, I'm cheering on the saints, and when something bad happens, I'm like, what a you know, bad call from the ref. So if I can go, devil, you know, you just, you know, if I can do that in church, then, 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 then what am I doing? If I can go, yeah, Drew Barry. No, not Drew Barry. Who's the guy? Who's the guy? Breeze, Drew Breeze. Oh, Lord. <laughs> oh, oh. 
I just called the goat the berry. Okay. <laughs> Stop the recording. We're going to edit that. Uh, <laughs> Drew Brees. Drew Brees, man. He's the greatest of all time. Yes, he is in football. Now let me see who's the greatest of all time in your life. Let me see you express that kind of emotion, devotion, allegiance, that kind of pride about who you serve as your savior. Come on. Come on. Psalm 43 verse 4 says, Then let me go to the altar of God, to God my highest joy, and I will give thanks to you on the lyre. It's combining a whole bunch of these words. But my highest joy. How many of you come in here and experience your highest joy and just offer that unto the Lord? That's my, that's my goal every single Sunday when I'm here is to try and just like, Lord, I'm so thankful. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so glad that I'm your son. I just want to show that to you. Let it be no doubt that I am happy to be here. I am happy to worship you. It's my greatest honor to do that. It's my greatest honor to do that. Let's move on quickly. Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter his gates with a song of thanksgiving. That's another word called toda. But come into his courtyards with songs of praise. That's tehillah again. It's vocal, right? Come into his courtyards with songs of praise. Give thanks to him. And then it says, praise his name. Another translation says, bless his name. You know what that word means? Barak. Barak. It's not spelled like that, okay? Um, um, the Barak should be read. Sorry, a little, little mistake there. Barak. It's spelled a little different. But it says, I will kneel down. I will kneel down um, in adoration to bless God. Sometimes you see somebody and they're on their knees before the Lord worshiping. You think to yourself, what the heck is that all about? That's Barak. That's that person coming into the presence of God. And blessing God, blessing God, coming into agreement, body, soul, and spirit that He deserves our worship. He deserves our adoration, our praise. Psalm 95, 6. Come, let's worship. Another word, shako. Shako. Let us worship. It means to bow down. This one says, let us worship and bow down. It's how they chose to describe sometimes these words to try and get the fuller meaning out of it. This is not merely praising God. This is to depress or even to lie prostrate. Now, I know there's no space here to do that, right? Yeah, but let us lie prostrate in homage and loyalty to our God. What are we saying? We're saying, Lord, we're worth nothing in your presence, Lord. You are so awesome. We don't even deserve to stand in your presence. We want to come and demonstrate just how, how glorious you are, Father. And through doing that, we give ourselves to you. We offer ourselves to you. We are yours. We are yours. We don't belong to ourselves. Nothing we have is enough. Nothing we have is satisfying. Only if we have you are we satisfied. Psalm 29, last one. Give to the Lord the glory His name deserves. Worship the Lord in His holy splendor. It's calling on us to demonstrate. It's not about being charismatic. It's not about being a different denomination. There is no relevance of that in Scripture. The relevance here is, 
Are we seeing what Scripture calls us to do? And do we understand how that can be powerful to break us free from the things that we're suffering? This is how it applies to warfare. Listen to Isaiah 30, verse 31. And this refers to a specific instance in Scripture where King Jehoshaphat was faced with an army that pulled up against him, and they couldn't overcome them with their own force. And he was, he was afraid, and he inquired of the Lord, how do I win this battle? And God said to him, what he needed to do. Early in the morning, they went out to the desert, and as they were leaving, this is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip back to the Isaiah verse in a second, okay? The people of Judah, um, Jehovah stopped and said to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, trust the Lord your God and believe. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. After he had visited the people, he appointed people to sing to the Lord and praise him for the beauty of his holiness. And as they went in front of the troops, they sang, thank the Lord because his mercy endures forever. As they started to sing praises, the Lord set ambushes against the Ammonites. Isaiah 30, at the sound of the Lord, the people of Assyria will be shattered. He will strike them with his rod. To the sound of tambourines and lyres, the Lord will pound on them. He will fight them in battle, swinging his fists. Listen to me. It's when you are feeling down that you need to praise God. But whether you're feeling down or whether you're feeling good, praising God is always a good idea. That's the way forward. It's when you're in lack that God calls you to praise him. It's when you're suffering that He calls you to praise Him. Because as you do that, He steps into the battle on your behalf. And He starts striking your enemy down. Every time they strum the guitar, every time you clap your hand, it's like the beat of the drum that God is beating down on your enemy. So when you don't feel like clapping your hands, that's the best time to start clapping your hands. When you're overwhelmed with your circumstances, that's the best time to say yeah, that song that we sing. I've got joy, 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 joy deep in my soul. It's when you're depressed and feeling completely anxious. That's the best time to start making that declaration before the Lord. 